Well, good evening, Springfield Church of Christ and guests, and welcome back to our Wednesday evening Bible study. Uh, even though we're in a time of social isolation and distancing, uh, it is still a blessing that God's given us that we have this medium to continue to do our Bible studies uh, together and, and to share. And so as we begin tonight, I just want to offer a, a time of prayer for a few things. First, uh, let's remember that tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. Uh, typically, we would have something public to participate in face-to-face, uh, -face, but now many of you will be participating virtually, and there are several things online uh, that just a simple search can take you to, uh, but remember to be in prayer tomorrow on the National Day of Prayer especially. Also, uh, this weekend is Mother's Day, and don't miss the opportunity to let your moms know how much you love and appreciate God's gift to you. Uh, through them and their hard work and sacrifice. Also, uh, I just want to share with you from our prayer list, uh, Natalie and Robert Seaver. They are in the last weeks of their pregnancy. And so Ben and Cordelia are about to have a new sibling. But we want to pray that everything goes well for them as a family. And uh, God brings this new blessing into the world. Also, if you've had the prayer calls, you know that we've been in prayer for Tim Ullery. Uh, Tim was taken to the hospital uh, last weekend with some chest pains, and he was released uh, with some post-cardiac care. Uh, they believe he did have a mild heart attack, and he's going to be having a stress test scheduled uh, soon, and so keep Tim in your prayer. Also, if you would, uh, there's a lot of things going on in uh, Judy Ullery's life, not just related to Tim, but uh, some personal concerns, so let's keep her in our prayer, as well as Rose Nye. Uh, then, if you would, uh, keep Stephanie Quisenberry and the kids in your prayer, too, as well as LaKim. They're also going through quite a few things uh, right now and could use your prayer. Uh, Connie Schumann called to let us know that, of course, Debbie Schumann was charged by a, a, a cow and uh, ended up with a broken left leg. Well, she's down at Miami Valley Hospital with that leg in a halo until the swelling subsides so they can actually operate on her leg. And uh, her son, Jake, is at her bedside sitting on a laptop, which I'm, I'm thankful that he's there. Of course, if you're in the hospital these days, you don't get that opportunity uh, to have family with you very often. But I'm glad that uh, he is there with her and that uh, she's getting the care she's getting. Also ask that you would be in prayer for Jerry and Carol Boner as uh, Jerry continues to have some changes related to his health. Uh, then yesterday... Uh, Jeanette Bailey had a quick trip to the ER. She was mowing and ran into a pine tree that, for lack of a better word, uh, just impaled her leg. She ended up with four to five stitches uh, after going to the hospital there. She's back on the mower today. But we need to continue to be in prayer uh, for her as well. Also today, uh, our president is signing the official proclamation of National Nurses Day which marks the beginning of National Nurses Week. Uh, that's going to end, uh, culminate on the birthday of Florence Nightingale, the founder of nursing, that many believe. And so we pray uh, for all of our nurses, all of our health care providers. If you work uh, in, in homes as a care provider, if you work in nursing homes and hospitals uh, as a nurse, as a nurse practitioner, as a physician's assistant, whatever role you fill, uh, may God bless you with health and safety and, and, and just uh, reward for the hard work you're doing. Uh, we also continue to pray for wisdom and guidance for uh, our leaders as they 
continue responding to this outbreak and the need that uh, not only nurses have as they work on the front lines, but for many businesses to go back to work. And so I just want to ask if you would uh, bow with me wherever you are right now. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are our God. Uh, You are the one worthy of earnestly seeking, the one who deserves more than a haphazard moment of listening, more than a haphazard moment of approaching. And so we just want you to know that we're glad you've created the thirst within us to come to you. And truly, everything about us, every fiber of our being, uh, longs for you. The psalmist said that he was in a dry and parched land. Well, Lord, we're in the middle of a culture where there is no water, no, no satisfaction apart from you. And so we cry out to you today. Uh, with the longing to know you, Father, with an earnest heart, with a quenching of thirst that only you can fulfill. Uh, We ask that you would prepare our hearts not only for uh, study tonight, but for prayer tonight, for prayer tomorrow on the National Day of Prayer, uh, for prayer for our health care providers, for prayers uh, for our mothers and our gratitude, Father, for each of their impact in our life. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would rain down on us in love and with the knowledge of your holiness. Uh, We just come before you again grateful. Uh, It is good to be near you. Uh, It is good to have a sovereign God in whom we can take refuge. And so, God, help us to be aware of your deeds. Help us to, to tell others about your good deeds. And just know that in our hearts there is nothing on this earth we desire as much as you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, last week we ended our study in Jude, and so tonight uh, I want to begin by introducing our topic by telling you a story. Once upon a time, and that's how all good stories begin, right? Uh, 15 billion years ago, there was a lump of stuff, smaller than a pinhead, but weighing as much as the whole universe put together. By chance, something happened within that lump, and it exploded in all directions, And around one of the billions of stars that formed, a a little bit of rock became a planet later known as Earth. By chance, it was exactly the right distance from the sun to have water. And in the water, by chance, there were chemicals that just bumped into one another and produced things called genes, things that could reduplicate themselves. Those genes gathered and made cells and whole organisms for themselves to live in like fish and and flies and foxes, all thrown up by chance. Finally, an organism called man uh, was thrown up, and he became a rocket, and he flew to the moon uh, to try and get some perspective on all uh, of the story. Well, that is uh, literally a story. (laughs) It's a story our culture tells about who we are and why we're here, that we are here by chance, that we really have no value or purpose other than what meager things we accomplish within 70 to 100 years of life, uh, that we are just an accident. And so, as I think about the value of life in these days of the coronavirus, I want to take us back tonight, way back to the beginning, uh, in the search of truths that are constant about a Heavenly Father and a Creator, and counsel and hope for our lives today. 
I, I, I hope you'll encounter what a man named Richard spoke of when Richard wrote the words. Down at Johnson's Creek, the trees grow tall like a man who feeds his soul on your word. I can look into the water and see the stars fall, hear the fires crackle and the crickets chirp. There are bluffs on the banks of the Cumberland where I can see the sun rise from a world away, and I can see the marvelous things that you have done in the beautiful world that you have made. In the winter it's white, in the summer it's green, in the fall it's orange and red and gold. It comes alive with the rites of spring when the rivers thaw and the flowers unfold. And there are beads of dew on a spider's web. There are motes of dust in these beams of light. We who are bone and spittle and muscle and sweat, we live together in a world where it's good to be alive. Because it flutters and floats, it falls and climbs, it spins and sputters and spurts, and you fill this world with wonders round every turn. It buzzes and beeps and shimmies and shines, it rattles and patters and purrs, and you filled this world with wonders, and I'm filled with the wonder of your world. If there's a better day and a brighter world, even brighter than the one we're in, we'd all be fools to think that it could be made by the wills or the hands of foolish men. So, Lord, to you we give our deepest praise, and to you we sing our loudest songs. And while we live in a world that you have made, we hear it whisper of a world, of a world that is to come. I love those words by Richard Wayne. Uh, Richard Wayne Mullins. Rich Mullins, the author of Awesome God and so many other uh, great songs he wrote before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Well, I want you to look with me tonight at the very first book in the Bible, a book that is literally labeled Bereshit, which means in the beginning of uh, God created. When the original Hebrew Bible was translated in the common tongue of Greek back in the third century, uh, it was done so under the scrutiny of 70 or 72 Jewish scholars that worked in Alexandria, Egypt, and they called it the Septuagint, which is the Latin word for septa, 70. Uh, 70 Jewish scholars that oversaw it. And its first book was named Genesis, instead of Bereshit, because of the recurring phrase, the generations of heaven and earth. Uh, if you just want to go back to the source of all truth, Wikipedia, it will tell you the book of Genesis is the first book of the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament uh, to account of the creation of the world and the origin of the Jewish people. But to me, like all the Bible, it's so much more. It tells of God's choice of a person, of persons and peoples, to show not only their chosen history, but the Bible is about God revealing himself and how he works in the world he created and desires to relate to in that creation. I love what uh, was written in Deuteronomy verse 7, verses 6 through 8. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God's chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
Now, much of that history that's contained in those verses is going to come in Genesis chapter 12 through 50. We're going back before that, and I, and I want to step back because I often get ahead of myself, as you know. But I will forever believe that Genesis is history. It's, it's not a fictitious storytelling. It, it's not an elaboration by some ignorant, primitive people. And it's certainly not a creation myth, even though there are plenty of those. I choose to trust the word of the God who knows. Creation was uh, our, our Heavenly Father's direct action as opposed to some naturalistic process. Uh, that's the definition of a miracle itself. And creation took place in the beginning. It was finished. It was complete. It was not spread out over the major portion of some supposed evolutionary vast period of, of time in the universe. It was done by the word of the creator. It was expressed divinely, accurately, and with a deeper wisdom than any science, than any hypothesis of man or theory will ever be able to explain away or replace. Approaching God's word in Genesis, friends, if you want to get the most from it, I want to suggest you read Psalm 119. I want to suggest you humble yourselves before the Bible as it says and say, you know, God, I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I, I, I want to hide your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. I want to relate to you as creator. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me in your decrees. I want to praise you. I want my soul to have a song. I want to rejoice in following your statutes like one rejoices in great riches. I want to meditate on your precepts and consider your ways and delight in your decrees. And the psalmist says, and God, through it all, I will not neglect your word. Now, if you want to go deeper in Genesis, if you want to look at, at the uh, apologetics of, of so many questions surrounding it, uh, I can't do better than Ken Ham and answers in Genesis uh, in his apologetics ministry uh, that's dedicated to help Christians defend their faith and proclaim the gospel of Christ effectively. Uh, I, I happen to believe that as you live out God's word, you become the best apologetic for the word of God. Uh, and we focus, uh, I think, on answering questions about the Bible through how we choose to have faith and how that faith affects our everyday life. But again, if you want to go deeper, you can check out Answers in Genesis online. Uh, as I said earlier in this study, we're going to focus on Genesis 1 through 12. And I think those 12 chapters contain everything we need for a Christian worldview. The foundation of almost every Christian doctrine can be traced to an event recorded and preserved in those writings of Moses. And without an understanding of those foundations, our beliefs are kind of left to their own devices, their own design, uh, as to our architecture, our origin, our purpose, our identity, our destiny. Uh, friends, if you miss out on the truth of God's word, and I don't want you to miss it, but if you do, you'll miss out on the great intention of God's design in you to relate towards him. Well, like us, the first uh, readers of Genesis, they lived in a culture that told all kinds of stories too. In one story, the gods discovered the scene of chaos uh, like a teenager's bedroom. <laughs> and they had a huge fight to see who could control it and make the world that we know. And, and the god just put their feet up after a hard day when they began to feel hungry. And they made mankind as an afterthought. 
to grow food and to wait on them. In another story, the sun, the moon, the stars, they were considered gods. They controlled your whole life from birth to death. And some stories like that, they stick around, don't they? And above all those man-made stories, Genesis 1 tells the true story. Uh, the Lord Jesus was once asked about marriage in the New Testament, and he, and he said this in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. He said, haven't you read at the beginning of the Creator, he made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Uh, he was quoting from Genesis 1 and 2 and saying, uh, that what Genesis says is what the Creator says. And this is Jesus as, as the Creator's Son. And I'm bound to believe that that story is, is true. And it's designed to knock every man-made story clean off the table. So, so let me tell you that story together. And, and by story, I don't mean fiction. I mean the account of events that really happen. Uh, turn with me again, if you would. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, straight away, the by chance story is knocked out. Because in that verse alone, you have intent, you have purpose, you have design. And I would suggest you underline God. Friends, God created everything. That knocks on the head the idea of many gods of Allah, Vishnu, Buddha, Muhammad, uh, Lord and Lady of the Isles, whatever, any polytheistic, any pantheistic belief is just knocked off the table because God created everything. There's only one real God out there, exclusively the God of Scripture. Then I want you to underline created. God created everything. The material world, it's just a creation. So anything that is created, friends, it, it's stupid to live for it. That knocks materialism on its head. Living for money, living for, for houses, uh, for things, sex, kicks, whatever it is. And then in everything, recognize God's universal design. He created everything. He controls everything. See, the truth behind the universe is not a good force fighting it out with the dark side. Uh, even as we saw this past week, the uh, National Star Wars Day. <laughs> we have a national day for everything. Uh, and we see us caught in the middle, not knowing whether good will ultimately win out over evil. You see, a, a good God who controls everything, that, that knocks out stories like that. And, and notice, history has a beginning, just like it will have an end which knocks out the Eastern religion story of history being circular or of us reincarnating. Verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I picture it like a house. You know, it needed more doing up before people could move in. And so in verse 3, uh, God said, Let there be light. There was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, there's a lot of phrases that get repeated throughout Genesis 1. Uh, you'll find it repeated, and God said, let there be, and there was. That is the picture of a king with absolute 
power. That is so far from what happens in my life. You know, if I woke up in the morning and I walked into the kitchen and Cheryl was at the sink and I said, let there be bacon and eggs, I'd probably be wearing them in about five minutes or less, okay? It's not going to happen. Uh, when 94-year-old Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, whew, that's a lot of titles, when she says, let the corgis be fed, she doesn't then start looking for cans of pedigree and struggling with a can opener. She speaks and it's done, and yet even her authority pales in comparison with God as the king. He never struggles to get his will done. He's never stumped by any lack of resource or unforeseen circumstance. He creates circumstances, okay? He speaks and it happens, and that goes for every promise in the Bible. Then there's that phrase, God saw that it was good. You know, if you were to work around your house and build a set of shelves, that you know, you put them up, assuming it stays up long enough to admire, <laughs> you look at that and say, you know, I'm happy with that. that. That's good. What do you mean? It means that otherwise meaningless scrap of wood is now good for your purposes. It's not just good in appearance. It's not just good in design. It's good for something that you have planned. And unless there's a creator God, then like the scientific story says, there's no meaning, there's no good, there's no evil. But when God creates anything, he's got a plan for it. He's got a use for it. Now, notice the end of verse 5. And there was evening, there was morning, the first day. God creates time as well as space and matter. And he creates this rhythm of time, day and night day and night. And that's just one example in Genesis of the order that God builds into our existence for our good and for his glory. I'm sure we all catch ourselves saying at times, you know, there just aren't enough hours in the day, even working from home, right? But Genesis 1 says, yeah, there, there are. Because the God that created you the God that loves you, the God that formed you, he created the rhythm of time knowing exactly what you would need. And if I'm thinking there aren't, it probably means I'm using my time wrongly. Friends, we all get the same 1,440 minutes in a day. Time is a huge issue for us because we live in a culture <clears throat> excuse me, that tells the materialistic story that this world is all there is. And if that's true, you got to get everything you can out of the short time that you're here, no matter the cost, right? You get all that you can own, all that you can experience, and so on, and we're caught up in and driven by our culture's agenda. And we end up saying there's not enough hours in the day, which there aren't if you're materialistic. Because materialists are trying to feed a hunger that only God can satisfy. Verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the waters above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. And there was evening, there was morning, the second day. And then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. 
Verse 10, God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now, at the verse 2 stage, we went from something that was formless and empty. Now, by verse 10, it's got form. It's got design. It's got purpose. And now, God will start filling his design. Verse 11, let the land produce vegetation, God said, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So what you see happening is there's a food supply. There's a pantry cycle that that God will explain later. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as marks or signs to mark seasons and days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And, and, and then the great throwaway line of all time. Oh, yeah, he also made the stars. <laughs> Verse 17, God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Now, that knocks the astrology story on its head, as well as the whole Egyptian idea of Pharaoh being the, the God-man. You know, the sun isn't a God, the moon isn't a God, the stars aren't God. They're just things that God made to serve us so that we could tell the time, the day, the week, the month, and the year. And so it's really stupid for us, it's ignorant for us to serve them, to read horoscopes and live by them, to, to live superstitiously as if they controlled us. You know, when Maltby Davenport Babcock resided in upstate New York, he would take strolls along the Niagara Escarpment to, to savor the Overlook's scenic view uh, and Lake Ontario. And he would tell his wife, I'm just going to go out and take a walk. I'm going to go out and see my father's world. And when Babcock died in 1901, his wife found a book of her late husband's poems. And so she she liked the one in particular that he titled My Father's World. One of Babcock's friends, Franklin Shepard, put it to the tune of an old English folk song. And so we have that song today. Uh, This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. Oh, rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hands the wanders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world, he shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass I hear him pass, he speaks to me everywhere. And friends, we need to hear this last verse in this day and age. This is my father's world, Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Well, notice at this point, God has created a highly ordered space and time 
which is why science is, is even possible. You know, science can find regular trends, predict things, because God is, is a regular God, which is why science grew up in places with a, a Bible-based worldview. And it's ironic that some parts of science are trying to, to really bite the hand that fed it to begin with. Verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly across the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and everything living and moving, a thing with, with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And now we enter the story. Verse 26, God then said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. You see, that knocks uh, racism. <laughs> that knocks sexism on its head. Because all people have equal value in God's eyes. And they should in ours, too. Part of the problem is we've kind of bought the lie that uniformity is good. Paul writes to the Galatians that there's no longer Jew nor Greek, but then he also says there's neither male nor female. And, and that's Galatians 3.28. So we understand he doesn't mean those identities vanish when we come to faith. What he's trying to say is we are equally valuable in God's sight. Our identity in the flesh, it does not give us preferential treatment. It does not diminish our status before God. Clearly, we remain male or female, and our gender is part of who God created us to be. Difference in roles, difference in functions in God's created order that we can either respect or we can ignore. And as time goes by in a drive for equality, the human race is confusing difference with value. Or they're denying the differences that God put in place, thinking that if we're different, then one must be better than the other. But that's a mistake. The fact that we can be different but equally precious is a truth, well, it's a truth that the enemy is trying to hide. You know, we see this strategy insidiously contaminating many areas of life, that we have to be the same, we have to be the same, we have to look the same, we have to think the same. That's not the will, nor is that the purpose or the desire of God. We just have to consider the flora and the fauna around us to see how God takes delight in, in a variety and working in harmony together and compare that, you know, with the drive of even cultures in this world. Think of the communist communities, apartment blocks that are just drowning out any hint of individuality. 
Think of the, the communities in North Korea. Think of those even in China where there's any hint of individuality has this monotonous, monochrome existence. But God created us each unique. His plans for us are also tailor-made. And when we fall into the trap of thinking, but everybody else, and we believe that we are therefore rightly do the same, we're wrong. After his resurrection, Jesus had a conversation with Peter about his future. He bestowed great honor on Peter, but he also gave him uh, you know, a heads up about his painful end. Peter immediately looks over at John and it says, when Peter saw John, he asked him, Lord, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Peter, you must follow me. Uh, and that's John 21, verses 21 and 22. Jesus tells Peter and all those who read these words, we're not to look to others, look at others and insist on being treated identically the same. Friends, we're to accept the privileges we receive from God with an understanding and also the challenges that he uniquely puts before us. God never blesses you without an expectation. He never creates you without a purpose. He'll never lead you where his grace cannot sustain you. And his path for each one of us may be different. It's hard not to compare, and I know that, but the body of, of Christ depends on each of us embracing our unique calling our unique gifting, our, our privileges and responsibilities, and celebrating that of others. I mean, if you just look at 1 Corinthians 12, it will tell you the shape of our creation. So don't covet you know, the package that others have got. Following that commandment means learning to be satisfied, learning to be content with what God chooses for us, and not begrudging what he provides for others. We're to rejoice in the blessing of others, appreciate their contribution, a deepening sense and trust in God's sovereign plan and His perfect goodness. It helps us not only accept the differences we see, it helps us to be better stewards of the privileges we already have, to live well, to live generously, to humbly accept the difficulties we experience that others seem to escape from scot-free. It's a command against the greed and the bitterness of this world that we can fall into so easily because the pit is dug so wide and deep in this world. You know, I think of Christ above all of us. Like other animals, uh, we're part of creation. But far more importantly, we're unlike the other animals because we are uniquely made how? In the image of God. In, in, in some way, we are created like God. We can relate to God. We can resemble Him. We think we are speakers. We love like God. We work like God. We even create things uh, like God. That doesn't mean we are God, and some people have to be reminded of that. We're not here to live as we please. It's not my life. It's not my time or my money or anything. You know, as much as I like old blue eyes, I can't sing that song ever. I did it my way. Hate that song. (laughs) As much as I like Bon Jovi, I can't sing. You know, it's my life. It's now or never. Uh, We're here to live a life in relationship to God. We're here to look up to him and ask, God, how do you want my life to be lived? And the beginning of the answer, I think, is in verse 28 of Genesis 1. God blessed them. 
He said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. We're to rule the world. We're, we're to live in society as God would have it. And, and rule means rule it as my representatives. The New Testament calls us ambassadors. And the basic prayer of somebody that's trying to live like an ambassador is simply, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So friends, we're to live under God's rule by the maker's instructions, which to non-Christian friends will sound dreadful <laughs> because people outside of, of, of our faith, they think we can't possibly be enjoying life. But since God is the expert on life, it's actually the best life. Or as the Bible word in verse 28 says, it's the blessed life. And as we'll see next week, any restrictions that God puts out there, uh, they are there to protect our fun, not to spoil it. And so Genesis says we're, un we're the unique high point of creation made to live in a unique relationship with God. But when human beings cross God out of the picture, where does that leave us? You know, Richard Dawkins said in his book, The, S the Selfish Gene, he said, we are all the throwaway survival machines for DNA. A monkey is a machine which preserves genes up trees. A fish is a machine that preserves genes in water. We are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for living. Wow. Do you see how different a story that is? How meaningful does that make you feel? You're a living test tube to pass along your genes to the next test tube. And will that purpose get you through tomorrow? Will it get you through a rocky patch in life? You know, oh, I've just got to keep on going to pass on my genes. <laughs> you know, the truth is, you cross God out of the picture, and you and I become no different than bacteria or flies or rats. We get rid of bacteria and flies and rats when we don't want them. So why not get rid of human beings when we don't want them before or after birth? You cross God out and there's no compelling answer at all. You cross God out of the picture. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know how to relate to each other. On to verse 29. God then said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. See, that knocks on the head the story that we were an afterthought that we were created by some anonymous group of gods to feed them. God didn't create us because he needed us. He, he didn't. He wanted us. Friends, it, it, you need to hear that in this life. You need to let that sink in, especially if you feel that, that nobody cares. If you feel like nobody in this world wants you, you need to know God created you because he wanted you. And he's demonstrated that twice over, once by making you, and then you having turned away from him, he loved you by sending his son into the world to die for you, to forgive you back into the relationship with him for which you were made in the first place. 
you are doubly loved by God. And whatever the state of your other relationships, whatever the, the, the state of your self-esteem, friends, that's something you need to remind yourself of every day. I am wanted by a God that has loved me twice over. Verse 31. Well, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, I, I used to read the Far Side cartoons by Gary Larson. I don't know if you ever remember those, but there was one that, that showed an old man with a long white beard cooking in his kitchen. And, of course, it turned out to be God. And he's just taking a cake out of the oven. And it's a football-shaped cake, and it's the earth. But it's all crumbling, and bits are falling off, and the caption is, half-baked. In other words, God didn't make it properly in the first place. Not true. Not true at all. Verse 31 says God made everything perfect. Everything was very good, especially human beings. There were no design flaws. Now, Genesis 3 will lay the blame for evil at the door of the human race. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heaven and the earth were complete in their vast array. It's as if the theater, the stage has been built. It's as if all the rehearsals are done, the players are ready. But what does the divine director ultimately want? The answer is, we're here ultimately for more than working to stay alive. We're we're here ultimately more than procreation. We're here to know God. Chapter 2, verse 2. So by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know, elsewhere in the Bible, it says that God is constantly working to sustain his creation. But this says he rested from his initial work to create. And the implication is we should likewise rest from our work one day in seven so that we don't get absorbed and forget the ultimate point of the whole show is to focus on God. We're not merely what we do. We're more than a student. We're more than a full-time mom or dad. We're more than unemployed. We're more than businessmen or businesswomen or factory workers. We were made to know God, which needs time for God and with God. Friends, that's the true story. And I realize that that story begs a lot of other questions. You know, how do we interpret the days of Genesis 1 and 2? Did God create all the world in literal uh, six-day, 24-hour periods? And there's a lot of disagreement on that. But, you know, as Moses is writing this and God is revealing it to him and saying evening and morning, uh, Moses had a great understanding of what a day was by then. It was a 24-hour period. God is certainly capable of doing that and more. Uh, and so I, I like to hold to that. At uh, one point, you find uh, plants created before men. In the very next instance, you find uh, man created before the plants. And why flip them? And, and you remember why the book of Genesis is written. It's written to explain the creation order, uh, the relationship order, really, between God and the world and between God and man. I, I look again at those days as six periods of 24 hours, but the important thing is you see the catalyst of, of a God who does the creating. And Genesis is about real events. 
And that's what I will always hold to. The ultimate authority of this life is God as he speaks to us through Jesus, the living word, and through the word of God. It's final. You know, the Bible is something God will never have to change because it's inaccurate. He knows more than anyone it's completely true. Any source of knowledge, you know, science or otherwise, uh, is, is outside and at best partially true and needing to be reconciled to the Word of God. And there's times you have to reject a scientific claim because as a Christian, it clearly conflicts with the Bible. For example, the whole thing of we're throwaway survival machines for genes. That's ridiculous. Uh, because God's Word says very clearly we're created for a purpose. One British university biologist said this. He said, creation, it, it's a theory that people don't like because it means they're accountable to a personal God. It means they ought not live in his world as they please. It means they ought to come back into a relationship with him they've so far ignored. And that's true. But it's not just scientists, is it? Since the events of Genesis 3 that we will approach, that's all of us by nature. But that's the beginning of the true story, and the most important question of the night is one that it asks of us. Friends, what part are you living in the story? Are you living the left-hand role? Are you crossing God out of the picture? Are you living a life in creation as though he wasn't there? Or are you playing the right-hand role through Jesus, God's Son, have you been forgiven back into the relationship for which God made you in the first place? You know, this past uh, May the 1st, NASA posted an image of a sparkling spiral galaxy that, that looks almost uh, like you hand drew it, stretched out across the sky, and it comes from the Hubble Space Telescope. It's labeled simply as NGC 4100. The galaxy boasts a neat spiral structure, swirling arms of speckled uh, blue light hues, newly formed stars. And like so many of the stunning images of galaxies we, we have today, that was captured by Hubble's advanced camera for surveys that's serviced by brave and intrepid astronauts. And yet every image that it sends back just shows the smallest piece of wonder of a universe that God creates and upholds. I think Psalm 19.1, for that reason, is a good place to close tonight. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, where His voice is not heard. Would you pray with me, friends? Heavenly Father, we come before you as our creator. And we're thankful that in the simple declaration of your creation as being good, you remind us that we are created for a purpose and that, God, you don't create junk. You don't create mistakes. And so no one listening right now, no one participating in this podcast is a mistake. God, you have a great intrinsic love and compassion and desire for us to be in a relationship with you. You gave us the signpost in creation. You gave us the signpost in the heavens. Father, your divine power, your greatness, 
so that we would look to you. But Father, we chose our own way. And yet you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for us so that you could love us back into the relationship for which you created us to begin with. Father, even before this world was created pre-Genesis 1-1, in your heart, you knew as God what this day would bring, what the days of our lives would, would bring before us. And we just honor you, we worship you with the re-sacrificed gift of our heart, our love, and our attention. We, we pray for strength that, that we can love you, that we can delight in justice and mercy, and we can humbly walk with you. And I pray this for myself, I pray this for my friends, until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each of you. Have a wonderful week.